Good morning, church. Good to be back. Thank you to everybody that's been leading us in worship so far this morning. That's been good. Thank you, band, especially for singing uh, Blessed Be the Name of the Lord. I love that song. I love to sing it. Um, you sang it this morning, just reminded we haven't sung it in Rita for so, for so long. I'll have to do something about that. Um, and I was thinking as I was singing it that I could relate it to the message that I wanted to bring to you this morning. For um, we were in 1 Peter last week, we're continuing there this week, and Peter is writing to believers, um, believers who are largely exiled, they are displaced persons, they are largely poor, they are ostracized, they're marginalized, they are misunderstood, they are ridiculed, they are persecuted, um, they are walking on a road marked with suffering. Um, whatever they are offering to God in worship, it is costing, so there is pain in the offering, and yet Paul's burning desire is that they should be able to say, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be the name of the Lord, and I know in my own life that when I come to those parts of the road that are marked with suffering, uh, and when there's pain in the offering, uh, and there's darkness and uncertainty, to be able to, to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I think a lot of it has got to do with a proper sense of, uh, of identity. To really understand who we are, and there is so much talk um, in society today about the crisis, uh, especially among young people in, in that sense of identity. Um, one of our own uh, young adults in church a few years ago, uh, Jimmy Meeklem, um, a PE teacher, um, felt called by God to, to leave his job as a teacher and to begin a, a, a ministry reaching out to young people, uh, whether children in primary school or secondary school, children in churches, young people, um, to teach them that their identity should not be found in the number of likes they have on Facebook or in what their friends think of them or on how they look to themselves in the mirror, but in the truth that they are beings made by God and that they are precious to God, they're loved by God. His ministry is called Made for More. Um, all of us need to learn to, to recognize that we are made for more. Uh, the world puts a lot of pressure on us to, to see ourselves and understand ourselves to be, um, well, to measure ourselves, if you like, by our successes, um, by our prospects, by our jobs, by the size of our house, by the size of our car, by things which are temporary and really not very substantial and trustworthy. And the truth is that we are much more than that, that our identity must be found primarily in who we are in God and in who we are in Christ. So if I asked you this morning, who are you? 
If you were approached by me in the street and you never see me before and I asked you who you are, what is the first thing that comes to mind? Is it your marital status? Is it your name? Is it your neighborhood? Is it your job? Is it your qualifications, your successes? What is it? What would it be like if the first thing that comes to mind when somebody asks you who you are is I am a being who is deeply loved by God. I am a person who is chosen by God and precious to God. I'm a person who is um, sanctified by the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. If we could see ourselves primarily as God sees us. Was it Robbie Burns who, who said, I would that God the gift had gave us to see ourselves as others see us. Uh, and I wish that God the gift had gave us to see ourselves as God sees us. And I want to talk about that corporately as well this morning because we are not just individuals who are given a new start in life and given a new heart and a new identity in Christ, but we are also a body. We are the body of Christ. We are the church. And that is an immensely beautiful, powerful thing which I, I think we don't truly grasp. I think as local churches, we don't always see the, the wonder of what it is that God wants to do here in AEC and in NBC and wherever it is that we worship. Paul, or Peter rather, began by reminding his readers that they were people who had a great hope. He writes, in his great mercy, God has given us new birth born again into a living hope, a living hope that is living because it's rooted on a person who is living through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And there's an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And it's kept in heaven for you, and you are being kept for it. And so, although you are walking on a road marked with suffering, I want you to look that way. I want you to look to the hope that is to come. Don't focus on the issues that you have right now. They're real, but you will find your joy in the hope that is yet to come because there's salvation yet to come. And you have received grace, but you have yet to receive so much more grace because God has saved you from the punishment and penalty of sin. God is saving you from the power of sin, but God is going to save you from the presence of sin. And there is so much that is to come. They had a living hope. This morning's message is largely about who we are, our corporate identity in Christ. Peter wants them to know that there's a glorious inheritance for them. They have a living hope, but also he wants them to know who they are as a body. He wants them to see the big picture. And I'm going to read to you this morning from 1 Peter chapter 2. Um, beginning at verse 4 and reading down to verse 10. I'm reading from the New International Version. And Peter writes, As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, 
like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay in Zion a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble on a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you, this is great, but you, church, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You are God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. And once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So in this section of teaching, Peter is urging them to be conscious of their identity in Christ and to live in the world in the light of their identity in Christ. Indeed, to live, he says in verse 12, such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. You are a people loved by God, church. You are chosen by God and you are precious to God. And Peter's word to us and God's word to us this morning through Peter by his spirit is that we are to live as chosen people. Live as chosen people. Begins in verse 4, as you come to him, as you come to Christ. You know, we often um, talk about the time that we came to Christ. Uh, Maybe when we're giving our testimony, we'll say, well, I came to Christ blah, 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 years ago, whatever. The Greek text here is a, like a continuous. It's a, we just didn't come to Christ then. We come to Christ all the time. We come to Christ daily as you are coming to Christ. Um, we have sung that song by Hillsong. Lord, I come to you. Let my heart be changed, renewed, flowing from the grace that I find in you. We come. We come daily to Christ. And as you come to Him, not just initially to know Him as Lord and Savior, but to come daily and habitually and repeatedly. And we come because He is Himself the source of every spiritual blessing. He is solely the source of every spiritual blessing. And when you come and you taste that the Lord is good, then you come back. We come because we have tasted that the Lord is good. And we come daily, I hope, for sustenance and for power and encouragement and renewal. As we come to him, that Peter refers to as the living stone. I love that expression. As you come to him, the living stone. It's almost like a, a contradiction. A stone is surely something that is dead, hard, immovable, um, and, you know, but... He is the living stone. The Greek word that Paul or that Peter uses here for, for stone 
is lithos. And a lithos is not just a, a, a bit of rock lying on the shore. A lithos is a cut stone. A lithos is a prepared stone. As you come to him, the living lithos, the living prepared stone. It was a stone shaped for a specific purpose in building. And Peter using it of Christ based on the prophecy in Isaiah 28 verse 16, which he quotes, See, God says, I lay in Zion, Jerusalem, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. A chosen and precious cornerstone. And the suggestion, the building technique that's being suggested here is that when a building is, is going to go up, a significant building, the most important stone is the chief foundation corner stone. It's, a, it's an L-shaped stone cut at a perfect right angle. It's the first stone that is laid, and that right angle determines the angle of the walls. It must be laid perfectly flat because it will determine the, the level of the other stones flowing from it. It's a perfectly cut stone, a prepared stone, because Christ is prepared. He is perfectly suited, perfectly fitted to the work that God gave him to do, which is to be a mediator between God and man, to be our saviour. He is the cornerstone. And he is the living stone because he is our resurrected Lord. And his role in the church is not simply static. It is not simply as a figurehead. He is um, in the church, active and dynamic in the church. He is a living, perfectly cut stone on which is built the church. Rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. And Peter loves to, <laughs> to point out to his readers and his listeners that two diametrically opposed evaluations of Christ. He, he, he does it in his speeches in the book of Acts and he's doing it here. He does it too with, uh, when he talks about the people that he's writing to. You're rejected by men, but chosen by God. Here he is saying the same of Christ. Rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. And Peter, as he writes, he, what is coming into his mind, I have no doubt, is the Jewish religious leaders who, who looked at Christ and could not see him as the promised Christ, the promised Messiah, and they rejected him. And they plotted against him and they put him to death, as we've already heard this morning. That was their evaluation. He's nothing. He's nothing. But God treasured him. God's evaluation of his son was, you are my son, in you I am well pleased. And God's evaluation of him is demonstrated in his resurrection and his ascension. It's God's evaluation of Christ that matters. It's God's evaluation of Christ that will ultimately stand. And the world says no, and God says yes. And Peter's readers, and we as well this morning, can identify with that because, as Peter says, we are largely rejected by the world, but we are chosen by God and precious to him. He is the living stone, the living lithos. 
sent by God to be that chief cornerstone of the church. And as we come to him, we also, like living stones, are built into this spiritual house. Um, as we come to him, we are stones. We are dead in trespasses and sins, but we are infused with his life. He is the living stone with life in himself. And as you and I come to him, his life becomes part of us. He brings us to life by his spirit and he builds us into this church. God does not save us simply to be individual believers. He saves us that he might build us into his church. There is no place for believers who simply wander around local fellowships enjoying what they can find their life. I spoke to a man who came to Newton Breda. Uh, I'd never seen him before. I was, went out after church and ch chatted to him in the foyer. And I was uh, asking him, he was a believer. He, he, he knew everything. Oh, he, he could tell us me when he came to Christ and how he came to Christ. And I, and I asked him uh, why he was visiting Newton Breda. And he told me, well, uh, he just went around churches. You know? He'd never yet, he said, found a church that suited him. He'd never yet found a church that suited him. I just wanted to scream, you know. God's purpose for us is not that we are loose stones lying about some spiritual building yard. He takes us when we come to Christ, and his purpose is that we come into the church. Like living stones, we are built into his church, and the expression of that church is the local church. And if you spend your spiritual life looking for a church that is perfect, you'll never find it. If you do find it, don't join it because you're going to wreck it. God help us. You know, we, the churches, local churches are not perfect, but God has you there. And our role in that, you know, you, you will be supported by others and you will support others. You are being built into a spiritual house and you temple. Peter also quotes from Psalm 118 verse 22, the stone the builders rejected has become the corner stone. The Jews rejected him. The, the Jewish leaders rejected him. He had no place in their faith. He was a threat to it. They rejected him, but God takes him and makes him the cornerstone. You don't want him, but I have a place for him. He becomes the cornerstone of the church. God overruled their decision. God nullified their rejection of Christ. And God places him in the place that is above all places. Paul, or Peter, I keep saying Paul, forgive me. Peter, um, in the book of Acts, in chapter 3, he, has, he heals a, a, a beggar and the crowd forms and he speaks to the crowd and he says to that crowd, you disowned the holy and righteous one. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. That was your estimation. You disowned him, you killed him, but God raises him from the dead. And Paul, this time in Ephesians, says God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, far above all power and dominion. Well, every other name, 
man's estimation and evaluation versus God's estimation and evaluation. And Peter's final quotation is a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. You see, that stone, which is rejected by men but chosen by God, if it is not received, it becomes a stumbling block. And people can hear the gospel and reject it, but they cannot ignore it. The gospel demands a response. You either believe or you don't. You either receive or you don't. And if you do not receive Christ as Lord, if he does not become that chief cornerstone, the foundation stone of your life, your Lord, then he becomes a stumbling block. And those who do not believe will fall on that stumbling block and they will ultimately be destroyed on that stumbling block. You cannot escape that responsibility. When Christ is not given that rightful place in our lives, he becomes a rock of judgment. So we either build our life upon him or we fall over him and we fall. And what a fall that is. So Peter's argument is this. He is the living stone, the living lithos of God, the cornerstone of the church. And as we, God's people, come to him and receive Christ and believe in him, we are infused with his life. And God takes us and he builds us into this spiritual house, this spiritual temple in which God will live by his spirit. And at this point, Peter's metaphor breaks down. It doesn't work anymore because the role of stones in the building is largely passive and the role of God's people in the church is not passive, it is active. And so suddenly it's no longer a building <laughs> and we find Peter saying that you are built into this house to be a holy priesthood. Suddenly it's changed. Now we are a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And that's, that's a precious doctrine. That's the precious Protestant doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. That each one of us has direct access to God. We are all priests. Every believer is a priest. We have access to God through Jesus. We do not need any intermediary. We do not need any human intermediary. We do not need the church even. We come to God through Christ. That is the access that we have. And that's a, that's a glorious truth, church. That's amazing. I don't need a priest to come to God. I don't need a priest to confess because I am a priest. The problem is that that's a glorious truth and we often stop there and we think, yeah, that's great. I'm a priest and I have access to God. But priests served God in the temple. They served the people. And this truth of the priesthood of all believers is not just a privilege. It's not just our access to God. It's also an obligation. It's also a vocation. It's an obligation because it's an obligation to holiness. What does Peter say? A holy priesthood. You are a holy priesthood. And to claim that right and that privilege as priests, we remember that we are called to be a holy priesthood. We are called to be different. 
We are called to be righteous. We are called to be people who are set apart. The obligation is holiness, but it's a vocation. Your role in the church is not simply to be a block holding others. It is to serve one another. It is to minister to one another. Uh, you know, I firmly believe that everyone who is a, a member of a church should have a ministry, a, a responsibility, a, a something that they're committed to, something that they will do in order to serve, whether it be children or young people or adults or seniors or whatever. But we just don't minister in that context. We minister each time we meet together. You know, it would be great if when we come into a church building, we minister to one another. We listen to one another. We, we empathize with one another. We pray for one another. Um, this is a noisy church. You know, that's great. <laughs> Newton Breda is a noisy church. I'm used to noisy churches. There are churches you go into, and before the service starts, it's silence. Got to whisper to the person beside you. Everybody hears you. It's great when it's a noisy church to hear people engaging with people and, and fellowshipping together. But the conversation shouldn't just be, hey, what a wonderful day it was yesterday. It was a wonderful day yesterday. I went to Mount Stewart yesterday. It was wonderful, fantastic. But it's not just about that. It's about what has God done for you this week? How's your faith? How are your quiet times? How's your prayer life? What is God saying to you this week? What are you reading this week? That's ministry. How can I help you? How can I pray for you? That's ministry. The privilege of being priests is a privilege and an obligation and also a vocation. And we offer spiritual sacrifices. Spiritual sacrifices. What are those spiritual sacrifices, church? You know, the use of the word spiritual here by Peter doesn't imply that they're invisible or intangible. They're spiritual in the sense that they are energized by the Spirit. They're spiritual sacrifices. They're energized by the Spirit. They're offered in the Spirit. And Peter does not take the time here to spell out what those spiritual sacrifices are. Let me give you a few ideas quickly. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the verse to you. And you just sit there and think to yourself, okay, what is the spiritual sacrifice that I am to offer to God? Romans 12, verses, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Hebrews 13, 15. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Hebrews 13, verse 16. Do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. And Paul writing to the church in Philippi, who have sent him uh, gifts to help him while he is ministering and in prison, he says they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant 
offering and sacrifice to God. There are others. Spiritual sacrifices that we offer as God's people, our own bodies, our praise, doing good, our material possessions, selfless, sacrificial love, and our prayers as well. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And the four titles that Peter uses there are all drawn from Scripture, all drawn from Scripture. And Peter is not thinking of them as individuals. The you used there in Greek is a plural you, you corporately, you corporately church, not even just you as our evangelical church this morning, but you as part of the universal church, the body of Christ on earth, drawn from every tribe and, and nation. Um, you, Peter says, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. A chosen people. And the word used in Greek there for people is genos, as in genealogy. It is people um, descended from a common ancestor. And Peter here is thinking of our sonship. We are descended from God our Father. We are united by our new birth as God's children. We are God's chosen people. We are a new race. said before that we have God's DNA coursing through our veins spiritually. And whatever prejudices we may have had before we came to Christ about race or culture or anything else, they're obsolete. Because now we are God's people. We are chosen by God. God's chosen people. And I've said it before as well that this chosenness, this fact that we are elected by God is not meant to swell our heads. It's the very opposite. One commentator said that this chosenness, this truth that we are elected by God is the most pride-crushing, God-exalting, holiness-promoting, security-giving, joy-filling truth in all of Scripture. We are chosen by God. We are a royal priesthood. Israel was called to be a nation of priests. They forfeited that through their disobedience and their apostasy, and eventually they rejected their Messiah. And now that privilege belongs to us. We are a royal priesthood. You know, in the Old Testament, there were strict laws which said that the office of priest and the office of king could not be combined. They were kept strictly separate. But Christ combined them in his own person. He was king and priest. And now we are a royal priesthood because we are sons of the king. We are priests with a royal heritage. And if you wanted to take that illustration of the, of the, of the building that Peter was using before, the, the building that God is putting us into, that God has placed us in as living stones, it's not just a temple. It's a palace. It's a royal residence. We are a royal priesthood and a holy nation. The nation there uh, in Greek is the word ethnos, which gives us our 
ethnic. We're separated onto Christ because we are a people with a distinct uh, background as a spiritual community. We are held together, bound together by the same spiritual constitution, by the same spiritual culture and values. We're united in our relationship with God. We are all people in the one covenant. The Spirit indwells us all. We serve the one Lord. Peter or Paul uh, in, in Ephesians writes, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. We are a holy nation, a spiritual community united together, one body and one spirit. A holy nation. There you have it again. Peter loves to emphasize this truth that God's people in this hostile world are to be a holy nation, set apart, different, noticeably different from the world. And we are God's special possession. Some versions read a people for God's own possession. We are God's private possession. How did God possess us? How did he purchase us with the precious blood of Christ? Not with silver, gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. God bought us. So I belong to God because he bought me. You belong to God because he bought you. And we are God's people because God purchased us. I don't know if you're familiar with this hymn. Um, very old hymn by George Robinson, 19th century writer. Um, Many, many years ago, I would have sung this. His forever, only his. Who the Lord and me shall part. Ah, with what a rest of bliss Christ can fill a loving heart. Heaven and earth may fade and flee, firstborn light and gloom decline. But while God and I shall be, I am his and he is mine. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Just urge to say there. That's who they are. Chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people who are God's own special possession. And get this, church, because having told them so clearly who they are, this is your identity in Christ. He now says why they are what they are. You know, there's always a therefore, isn't there? You say that last week, there's always a therefore. We are that we may do something. What are we supposed to do? That we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. And you can take that phrase and put it after each of those designations. We are a chosen people that we may declare his praises. We are a holy priesthood that we may declare his praises. We are a holy nation that we declare his praises. We are a people who belong to God so that we can declare his praises. That is what we are for, to proclaim his praises. That's what the church must do, proclaim his praises. And I'm Looking at that and thinking, yeah, we are to proclaim his praise. What do we sometimes see the churches proclaiming? Their own agendas, their political views, their denominational distinctives. And Peter says, no, you are these things. You are these people. You are a chosen people and a royal priesthood and a holy nation that you may declare his praises, not your own praises, not your own agenda, not your own views, not your own distinctives, not your own prejudices, but his praises. 
Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you were not received mercy, or sorry, once you had not received mercy, and now you have received mercy. And this final image uh, Peter draws from the book of Hosea, which um, you may well be familiar with, but the book of Hosea, God has told Hosea to take a woman as his wife, and she is unfaithful to him, and she bears him children, and Hosea knows that they're not his children. And God is teaching on Hosea a powerful lesson because the people of Israel have been unfaithful to God. They were in a covenant relationship with them. They had betrayed that covenant relationship. They were worshiping other gods. This was spiritual adultery. And just as Hosea's wife, Gomer, was committing adultery and bearing children that were not Hosea's, so Israel was being spiritually unfaithful to God. And God said to Hosea, give those children names which will spell out my judgment on Israel. So we read that Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to Hosea, Call her Lo-Ruhamah, which means not loved, for I will no longer show love to Israel. And after she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, Gomer had another son. And then the Lord said, Call him Lo-Ami, which means not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. And Peter is taking those words of judgment on Israel. And reversing them and saying to this dispersed bunch of aliens, foreigners, scattered throughout the north of the Asia Minor, once you were not loved by God, but now you are loved. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. God has reversed his judgment on his people. And you are chosen and you are blessed and you are precious. Chosen people, royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That's our identity in Christ, church. That is our identity in Christ. And why are we all of that? So that you and I, and AEC, and NBC, and all the local churches, and the church worldwide can go out and declare the praises of him who called me and you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's what we're for. Let's pray. God, thank you. Um, because we in ourselves do not feel worthy of any of this, our God. Um, if we were to search our own hearts, Lord, we just see people who feel, people whose faith wavers, people whose life is inconsistent, people who do not speak out sometimes when they should, people who sometimes speak out when they shouldn't. Father, we are so vulnerable. And yet you tell us in your word that we are precious to you, that we are loved by you, um, and that you have amazing purposes for us, not just as individual believers, but as your church, God. We come to you, the living stone, and you build us as living stones into your church. And you designate us as a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people who are your own special possession. Father, our purpose is to declare your praises. And we pray, Father, that we might do that, um, not just within the walls of our local church, not just among our own community, Lord, but that we might reach out to a world that doesn't understand us, a world that misrepresents us, a world that is hostile sometimes to us. 
but that we might declare your praises, Lord, with lives which bring glory to you. Uh, thank you for your word. Help us to apply it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.